How are we doing? Let's begin by telling a story. Let me tell you a story that comes out of the life of Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter 18. And it is a story where Jesus is talking to people who tended to compare themselves to somebody else. And, and, and the story begins like this. Uh, Jesus says that there were two men who went to the temple, to, to the church, to pray. And he says one of them was a Pharisee and the other is a tax collector. The Pharisee is this religious sort of a guy, right, who, who thinks he's holier than thou. He, he, he tries his hardest to please God in every single capacity, and he, he, and he thinks he is that. He, he thinks he's right before God, and that's the, this Pharisee person. And, of course, the tax collector in this story, he is, uh, he, he's a sinner. He's the sinner guy in the story. He's the bad guy in the story. Uh, and, and it's obvious, right? because nobody likes a tax collector. Not now and not 2,000 years ago, right? Uh, but, but this tax collector, he represents Rome. He, he represents the power to take, uh, the, the power to control your life. He, he, he represents the cheater that he was, right? That, that this man was far, far from the heart of God. And Jesus tells his story, he paints his story of, of these two men coming to a place like this uh, to, to pray, to somehow connect with God. And then he says this, he says that the Pharisee was so self-righteous, so into himself, into his religion that he didn't even stand among the people. It says that he comes in and he stands alone and he prays to God. And he says he lifts up his hands toward heaven. He lifts up his eyes toward heaven. And he says this. He says, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I am not like all those other people in the room, sitting in these seats. He goes, thank you, God, that I'm not an adulterer, that I'm not an evildoer, that I'm not like these people. And then Jesus says that this guy, this Pharisee, he points out the tax collector and literally points his finger and says, during his prayer, thank you, God, that I'm not like that man, the tax collector. Thank you, God, that I'm not the sinner that he is. But it says that this tax collector also came in and prayed. And he had a whole different approach to God. And, and he comes in and it says that he finds a place alone. And it says he would not even dare to lift his eyes toward God, but that he beat his chest and he cried out to, for mercy toward God and said, God, I'm so unworthy even to be in your place, to be in your house. God, how could you even accept me? And then Jesus says this. He gathers his disciples around. They're watching this little scene unfold. And he says, which one? Which one pleases the heart of God? The righteous Pharisee or the tax collector who realizes he is so lost but needs to be found? Friends, listen, this whole idea of comparison is an ugly, ugly game. 
It is a dangerous and deadly game. Uh, Jesus warns us not to get caught up in this trap, this, this game called comparison, especially when you end up thinking that somehow you are better than somebody else. Uh, but if you're like me at all, you don't intentionally compare yourself to other people. It just sort of happens, right? It, it just does. Listen, uh, it, it should, before you know it, you've kind of sized yourself up and then you kind of size up the competition, right? You, you size yourself up and then you size up other people. Uh, you think about what you are and then you think about who they are and, and then you come up with one of two conclusions. You either think you are superior or you think you are inferior. And, and let me tell you something, friends. Um, neither one is good and neither one is right. Both take you far, far from the heart of God. Either one will mess you up on the inside. Either one will take you away from all that God wants you to become. Either way, you'll experience death by comparison. Have you ever done that? Come on. Have you ever just kind of lined up your life around the others around you? And you walk away either thinking you're better than or less than. And neither one will bring glory to God, neither one. So we're in this little series we're calling Poisonous, and we're talking about the poison that is within you, that, that's within me, that's within all of us, that, that stuff that races around in our soul that controls us far too often, that, that takes us to where we do not want to go far too often in our life. Uh, we're, we're talking about those things like we talked about last week, if you were here, we talked about that critical heart. Anybody remember that? We talked about having this critical heart that lives in, in judgment over everybody else. And it ultimately destroys not them, it destroys you. And, and we're talking about things like greed and lust and pride and selfishness. All of these things that, that God says, and I think that we know internally, that God says will kill us, that will be deadly toward us. And so here, here's what I'd like to do, if it's, if it's okay with you. And I don't know if you're in this room or if you're joining us via video today and, and your heart is like, you just weigh into God and you're like, woo, just give it to me and, and you're ready. That's cool if you're here like that. I'm like, I'm, I'm with you, okay, I'm with you. Uh, but you might be here and you might be just brand new to this whole God thing and you're just kind of trying to figure this whole deal out and you're not sure what you believe. I'm so glad that you're here. Because I think God has so much for you. And so if it's okay with you, at both of our campus, this is what I'd like to do. I would like to just lead us into our time together uh, with sort of an opening prayer, asking God to speak to us. And so at both places, would you go ahead and bow your head together? Let's do it. So Father in heaven, just over the next couple moments, uh, would you speak into our hearts? Would you speak into our minds? I, I know that there are those in this room uh, who are very unsure, they're even uncomfortable being in these, uh, at, at one of our campuses today. And I, and I just pray that your spirit would rush over them, that you would visit with them. Uh, God, that you would comfort them. And God, open their hearts. Lord, for all of us uh, in this place, no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, would you speak, oh God. Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Amen? Amen. Well, chances are, at one point in your life, somewhere in your life, you are satisfied. I mean, you probably got to at least one point in your life where you go, things are good. Things are fine. 
things are going the way I thought they should go. You're happy. It might have been back when you were like 11 or something, but you had that moment in your life. Uh, but here's what happens so very often. You're, you're satisfied until you're not, right? And there's something that clicks that you thought you were doing perfectly good until you realize that you were not perfectly good, uh, that you thought you had it going on, but then you realize you didn't have it going on. And, and, and you go from feeling pretty good to feeling pretty miserable pretty quick. Anybody ever have that feeling? Come on, you, you just go from feeling pretty good uh, to pretty miserable pretty quick. And the fastest way to kill something good, the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Right? The fastest way to destroy something good is to compare it to something else. Listen, friends, it's been said, and you may want to write this down, it has been said, contentment ends where comparison begins. Contentment ends where comparison begins. You may want to take a little picture of that because that is true, right? That is absolutely true. For, for example, you were feeling pretty good about your little family's trip to Chipotle and you thought it was up and rocking until you checked out your little news feed and your best friend just took their family to Black Rock. Now that little trip to Chipotle didn't seem like all that big of a deal, right? Contentment ends where comparison begins. Uh, you had a nice night at home and everything was wonderful until you realized that the rest of your friends had a better night out and they didn't invite you. Thank you, Instagram, right? Contentment ends where comparison begins. You, you see your friend is on her second vacation of the year and you can't even afford a trip to grandma's house, right? And, and, and she's out there tweeting and twittering and Facebooking. And Inst I mean, she's got the whole deal, like she's laying in front of the pool and her feet are dangling over the pool. And now she's tweeting her little picture of her book with the quote of, of the day out of the book. And you hate her now, right? Uh, it's, it's just true because why, friends? Listen, you're at home stuck with the TV dinner and you thought it was all good, but it's not all Good, because why? Contentment ends where comparison begins. Or maybe you're like me and you come into church like I did last week and I got my good friend, Mr. Bill Kennedy, in the back there. He's my push-up partner back there. And uh, I go, Bill, Bill, I'm so pumped. I made it to the gym twice this week. And he looks at me, honest to God. My friend looks at me and goes, oh, that's good, Jay. I had to take the day off because I went six days in a row last week and I just felt I needed a day off today. <laughs> I hate Bill. <laughs> hate him, right? C contentment ends where? When, when comparison begins. You lose peace. You lose joy. I lose peace. I lose joy. When, 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 when we start looking at others and putting our life up against their life. We, we, know our, we, see, we know the everyday life in which we live, but it just seems like all of our friendships, they're lived in the highlight reels, right? It just seems like they're just experiencing more, better, bigger, you know, beyond what you are. Uh, it, it just seems like you're grinding your way through life and they're kicking it in life, right? You're working hard and you're struggling through, but they just have it easy. And, and that's the highlight reel uh, that people that people seem to live in. And, and if we keep looking at the highlight reel, listen, friends, somewhere along the way, we, we go from doing pretty good to being pretty miserable pretty quick. And it happens to all of us because, listen, I'll say it again, contentment ends where comparison 
begins. And when you start comparing, uh, it, it does two things. We already mentioned it. It either makes you feel superior or it makes you feel inferior. And neither one is what God wants for us. Neither one honors God. It makes you either feel better than or less than others. And neither one of those is God's intent for our life. And so what I'd like to do is I want to take you through a little bit of, of a journey talking about this idea of the comparison game. I want to talk about this trap that so many of us find in because I think that if we are not careful, we will experience death by comparison. Death by comparison. So I want to take you on a, a little uh, spiritual journey. I want to go into the book of John, um, chapter 20, John chapter 20. Uh, look at a little portion of scripture, and it is an incredibly powerful uh, little story, but it's also legit funny. I think you're going to find that there's some humor built into this passage of scripture. And you have to realize that when you read the Bible, if you ever open the Bible, it seems so far away from us. It seems so different in our world. But listen, the people in these stories, they're just like you and me. They're real people with real struggles and real issues and real ups and real downs, real happiness, real sorrow, real joy, uh, real struggles. And don't forget that it is real people experiencing real life. And so uh, I don't know if I'm going to be reading a little bit too much into this, but when I read John chapter 20, there are some things that kind of jump out at me. And it just seems to me as I've kind of read through the gospel stories again and again in my life, it seems that there are, are at times tension between some of the disciples. I don't know if you've ever picked this up. It does seem like there's this like little internal tension that goes on because you do, you read the Bible and it'll have these little lines that say, uh, so-and-so, one of the disciples asked if he could be first. One of the disciples asked if he was better than the other disciples. One of them saying, well, listen, it's really obvious that Jesus likes me more than Jesus likes you. And, and so you seem to have this tension that, that's going on. And, and one of the tensions is between what I, I think is between John and Peter. And so I just want to explore this a, a little bit because if I was uh, Peter, uh, I think I would be a little bit annoyed by John, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because when you read John's work in the Bible, it's the gospel according to John, he does the weirdest thing, the most annoying thing. I, I know I probably shouldn't say that. He's one of the disciples. He's better than I am in every way. I get it, okay? But, but listen, listen, listen. It is a little bit annoying because he writes about himself in the third person. That's annoying. Listen, anybody who talks about themselves in the third person, that is annoying, I mean, listen, God still loves you but, you, but you need healed in the name of Jesus because that is just weird, right? It's, just, it's a strange thing. And so John did this, but more than that, uh, one time in John's work, actually a couple times in John's work, he, he labels himself, listen to this, John labels himself as the one that Jesus loved. I think that's a little bit strange, isn't it? Like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying you guys, I'm not sure what he thought of you, but it's clear that Jesus loved me. It's very clear that I was his favorite, and you just need to live with it. You just need to deal with it, right? And so this can be kind of annoying, right? And so the context of John chapter 20, let me just set this up for you. Uh, it was three days after Jesus had died. So this is uh, at the epicenter of the Christian faith. Right, this is like the, the high holy moment, you know. Uh, he's dead, he's been on a cross, and now he's placed into this tomb. And, and, and some of, you know, most of the people on planet Earth, including the closest followers of Jesus, are like, this is over, this is done. What we thought was gonna happen, and this whole Messiah thing, this whole king of the world thing, it, it didn't materialize, and we are in trouble. So you can imagine the intensity of this moment, right? And so John 20, 
we learned that Jesus had been in the tomb uh, for, for three days. Uh, he was supposed to be there, but Mary goes, uh, this lady named Mary goes to check out the tomb to do whatever they do, to do the burial thing. And, and she realizes that the tomb, the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty, meaning what? Jesus wasn't there. And so she's like, I don't know what happened to the body. I don't know. Did somebody take it? Did Rome take it? Did some thieves take it? I'm not sure what's going on here. Nobody tells me anything. I didn't get an email. I didn't get a text message. Nothing. I came expecting the body, but the body is not there. And so she turns, hightails it back to the disciples, the closest followers of Jesus. And so we're going to walk through this. And, and when I read this little passage, I want you to notice something. This is so important. I want you to notice how many times that John tells you that he's faster in a foot race than Peter. I just want you to follow this, okay? Watch this. It's right here in the Bible, and you're going to be so glad that you came to church today because this is sort of humorous. Okay, it says this. Oh, this is amazing. Just watch. Now, remember, the tomb is empty, Christ is risen, and John just wants us to know that he is faster at running than Peter. Okay, now, now listen. It's how it starts. Uh, chapter 18, verse 2, it says this. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The other disciple, he is talking in third person here. It's kind of annoying, right? The other disciple is John in this story, okay? Uh, now watch what John says, uh, and you can say this with me. The one Jesus loved, right? And so she, she's, he, he says, Mary comes back, and it's Peter and the one that Jesus loved. Me, it's me, okay, I'm, I'm there. And I'm like, you jerk face, Jesus is dead. And, and you're bragging about how much Jesus loved you more than everybody else. Isn't that kind of an odd thing to put right in the middle of the, of the resurrection story? Kind of odd, okay. And then it says this, and, and, and they, they said this, they have, uh, she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So verse three, so Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, speaking in third person, that's John, but the other disciple, what did he do? Outran Peter. I just wanted you to know that I outran him, okay? And I reached the tomb First, uh, Christ has risen, and I got there first, just so you know. Uh, verse 5, it says, he bent over, John bent over, and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go inside. And then listen to this. Then Simon Peter came along, and where was Simon Peter, just in case you were asking? Behind him. Second time, he just has to point out, where's Simon Peter and all this? I don't know, he's somewhere back there because I'm faster. Just wanted you to know. Okay, just wanted you to know. Uh, and so listen to this. Uh, then he goes on and says, and when Peter got there, he went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, verse seven, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Uh, the cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, John speaking in third person, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. And so just in case you missed it the first two times I told you, I, the one that Jesus loved, the other disciple who speaks to you in third person, I won the race. Not that I'm comparing myself, I just, I'm saying, I just want you to know. Now, friends, it's sort of ridiculous, isn't it? It really is. Friends, listen, we can never follow Jesus fully if we are in comparison to somebody else if we're living a comparative life with somebody else. Uh, and, and friends, why do we do this? It is because, for at least for me, why do we do this? Why, why does John feel this urge to say, well, I just want to point out some things about Peter to you. Because I want to knock him down a little bit. I just want to knock him down just a little bit. Why do I do this? And why do you do this? I can tell you why I do it. 
I do it because I'm human and I'm a sinner. And I struggle with finding my place in this world just like you do. We all do this, right? Um, I remember uh, a couple years back, Andy, Pastor Andy Stanley out of Atlanta, he did this uh, message once, and I think it was called Living in the Land of Ur. Living in the Land of Ur, E-R, in the Land of Ur. And, and one of his key lines f- uh, from this message, uh, he said it over and over again. He, he, he said, there are, there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. Did you hear it? There's no win in comparison. And the whole idea was that everything in our own nature wants what somebody else has plus ER, plus ER. We want something that they have plus ER. In other words, we want to be fast ER. We want to be strong ER. We want to be happy ER. We want to be smart ER. We want to be rich ER. And, there's, and this is wired inside of us. But friends, listen. Contentment ends where comparison begins. You can't find peace in the land of Ur. Because why, friends? You can't find peace in the land of Ur because there is no external win. There's no, nothing out there that can help you win inside of your own soul. Do you hear this? There's no external win that will ever satisfy an internal longing that you or I have. Never. Uh, there's no amount of fame or money or success or education or friendship or romance or, or thrill that can satisfy an internal longing that we have. There is nothing, listen, there's nothing on the outside designed by God that can satisfy you on the inside because the designer left that space for him and him alone. The creator God created you with a space that nothing else in this world can fill outside of a relationship with the designer himself. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And so here, here's what I'm learning. And this is just me. Uh, I'm learning that living in the land of Ur doesn't satisfy. Uh, there is no uh, contentment in this thing called envy. Uh, there is no peace in this thing called jealousy. There is no uh, life inside of this thing called comparison. Uh, there will always be somebody doing more, having more, doing it better than I am or that I have. There will always be somebody like that. There will always be somebody smarter or prettier or more talented. And so I've just got to learn to let it go. Come on. Y'all with me? You just have to learn to let it go. Incessant comparison with others around you will leave you feeling, listen, it'll leave you feeling cheated. Uh, It leaves you feeling betrayed. It it leaves you feeling disillusioned. It, It makes you feel that God somehow has not been fair to you. And is that true? No, it's not. But choosing contentment and finding confidence in him will foster joy. It'll bring something deeper into your life. Joy will pour out from you to others around you. It will attract others and it will shine brightly from your life. Uh, And so if we were to turn this phrase that says contentment ends where comparison begins, why don't we turn this around a little bit? You may want to write this down. What if we were to say contentment starts where comparison ends? Come on, y'all with me? Contentment starts where comparison ends. Um, I need to remember for me that life is not one big competition. I have lived that way for long periods of time in competition with my friends and with other people who build houses like I built for a lot of years or, or people like my own family. Living in competition. I need to remember that life is not one big competition. And this is hard for, for me because 
as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to win. I've been built to win. Uh, I think my parents raised me to win. And, and the truth is, there's nothing wrong with winning. Am I right? There's nothing wrong with winning. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do good in life and to, to be successful in whatever way that you uh, count success. But friends, it should not be if, if you win, I lose, right? It should not be, life isn't meant to be one big scorecard. Life isn't meant to be that, uh, that, I, uh, that I need to end up somehow ahead of you in life uh, or that I must be right and so that makes you wrong, right? Or if you get something, that means I don't get something. Or if you're happy, that means somehow that I'm not happy. Friends, somehow or another, we have got to move beyond this. We've got to let it go and realize that God did not call us to, to run somebody else's race but that God called us to run our race. And, and so here's what I'm learning, and, and I just got to figure out some internal things. Um, I got to figure out, um, for me, some internal wins, right, that, that keep my heart in check, um, that keep me growing in the right direction, uh, that keep me moving in my relationship with God. And my guess is, is that you're going to have to figure out some internal wins, Right? And so uh, I'm just going to share a couple of them with you, and you may want to write these down, I don't know. Uh, but here's the first one that, that it, it's, I'm figuring out in life, and I'm trying to teach this to my kids, is uh, we don't compare, we celebrate. Don't compare, celebrate. I'm in this uh, weird line of work. I am a pastor. I am, uh, I, it's weird, I get paid to be a Christian, a professional Christian. It's the weirdest thing in the whole world. And, and so I'm part of this thing called the church and I'm a leader in this thing called the church and yet if you look into the scripture, Jesus says uh, that the church, the body of Christ, we're all on the same team, right? Are y'all with me on this? And that the, the big C church has one head coach and it's not me, right? Our, our coach is who? Jesus, right? I mean, that's what our church ought to really be about and when Jesus was here, he, he had this prayer. He said the church ought to be one, that we are better together, that we were made to, to be together. But friends, I've spent, if I'm just honest, I would just admit how shameful it is that, that we have been so competitive in the body of Christ. And it's not just those churches out there, but I'll admit that I have been very competitive inside this thing called the body of Christ. I, I mean, uh, I've spent a lot of years just being jealous and looking at other people and being envious of what they got and what, who they are. And, and I think to myself, wow, it's just so easy for them to just grow, grow, grow. They started like three weeks ago and they got 12,000 people already. It's crazy, you know? And, and I think, man, it's just easy for them. And so I'd go to these conferences like I kind of shared last week and I'd have a critical heart and I would poke at them and I would try to knock them down a little bit. And friends, if I was honest, um, the reason I would do that is because I was jealous and I was envious and my competitive nature would want to win and would want to rise up and I would be thinking, man, you know, uh, they just got it all. They got, you know, bigger buildings and more volunteers and more money and, and more people and it was just easy and they were in the South and it's warm in the South and I hate those people, you know? And uh, um, I was comparing and friends, there is no win in comparison like Andy Stanley says. There's no win in it. And I'm learning that joy comes from celebrating, not comparing. True, true, true for me, this is true. A few years back when I was really wrestling with this, and I'm just 
struggling, you know, trying to build our church and to lead our church and having this competitive nature and this jealous feeling toward, you know, others. Uh, God spoke to me one day. I was driving in my stupid van down the road and, um, and God laid something on my heart. I'm just going to share it with you. Um, and I've been doing this for a few years now, that every time, as often as I can think about it, when I pass another church, I will pray that God blesses them a thousandfold that God would give them greater things than they ever dreamed possible, that God would use them way beyond our church would ever be used, that God would use them to reach people that maybe our church could never, ever, ever reach. And I would pray this little prayer. I'd be reminded of the scripture where it says that uh, to God gave King Saul his, his thousands, but to King David his tens of thousands. But God is the giver of all. And it's not up to me. It's not up to you. Our job is to stay in our lane. Our job is to build what we're supposed to build. And if God blesses them more, then woo, way to go, right? Are you all with me on this? Um, so don't, I'm just learning, don't compare, celebrate. Uh, choose compliments over comparison. So like moms in the room, listen, when you notice a mom who is able to better manage their children in public spaces than you can, don't just start rattling off the reasons and the lists of excuses why she's probably better at it. You like, well, she's probably rich. She probably doesn't work. And her husband probably does all the hard things in life and probably dotes all over her. No, how about you just walk right over to her and compliment her? And just say, way to go, mom. You're killing it. Way to go, right? Uh, any parents in the house? Any parents in the house? H have you noticed um, how quickly your kids can become jealous of one another? Like if one good thing happens to one kid in the family, the other ones are like whining and complaining Im immediately. I mean, it's probably just my house, right? Is that what it is? It's just me? But, but Lynette and I are trying to figure this out. And we've been trying to teach our kids that we need to celebrate the wins of their brothers and, and sister. We're, we're trying to uh, encourage them to be each other's biggest fan, that when one wins, the family wins. When, when one person gets lifted in some way, the family gets lifted in some way, that, that your brother uh, winning does not make you a loser. Your brother winning does not make you losing, right? But that we're one family and we ought to celebrate uh, each other or when their friends get something great or achieve something great or go somewhere great. Uh, it never stops, right? I mean, why do they get to go to Disney every year? Listen, we ain't going to Disney. Mark it off your list as done already because it ain't happening, right? <laughs> uh, but, but we say, what? Celebrate them. You do not feel better by, by whining about it. You do not get better by whining about it. You celebrate them and let's be their biggest fan. We're trying to be that family and we don't get it right very often, but we're trying to be that family that, that finds joy and contentment in the celebration of other people because we want the love of God to shine through us. Amen? Y'all with me on this? All right, three people. That's awesome. I love it. Um, we're good. So I'm just realizing that there's no win in comparison. And so here's another thing that God is teaching me, and I'm just going to throw this out to you, is don't compare, correct. Don't compare, correct. I once heard a father say, uh, say this to his son, and uh, it, it went something like this. Uh, there will always be someone thinner, richer, smarter, stronger, more talented, and better looking than you. So just get used to it, son. When I heard that, I was like, ooh, it's a little harsh. But then I realized that's really true. And it's really, that's really good advice, right? Because the truth is, uh, it sounded mean, but 
But the truth is, is that no matter how hard you try and how hard I try, there will always be someone who is better at something than you, no matter what. And so when we start to feel this need to compare, we must recognize the opportunity to correct our own soul. Don't compare, correct your own soul. Grow your own soul. We need to practice humility. We need to learn. We need to take our next steps. We need to grow our soul, right? To, to realize that them winning is not you losing. Something has to shift inside of us. Uh, when, when we see something, uh, something in somebody else that's great or that is, uh, that is really, really good, uh, don't let jealousy consume you. Let it in, inspire you. Amen? Amen? You ever felt that way? Uh, absolutely uh, use it to get better. Let it inspire you. When, when you see somebody whose marriage is great, don't just go back and start picking on your husband. Go back and let it inspire you to do it right to make the changes you need to make. When you see somebody who's getting it right financially and they seem to have all their, you know, all their finances in order, don't just like, wow, they're probably in debt. They're probably faking it all. No, no, no. Let it motivate you. Let it challenge you to do better. When, when, when you see somebody like Mr. Bill hitting the gym six times, don't hate on the man, right? Don't hate on the man. What do you do? You, you let it inspire you and challenge you to, to better things, to greater things in your life. Look at this, look at this. This is what it says in the scripture. Uh, Galatians chapter six, verse four. This is so good. It says, each one of you should test their own actions. Then they will take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. We cannot, listen, compare our strengths and our weaknesses with other people because God has built us differently. God has called you to be you. I, I don't think that uh, when we go to God, uh, when we finally die and we meet God, I don't think God's going to go, hey, did you keep up with your coworker? I don't think God's going to go like, hey, did you drive as nice of a car as your brother drove? Hey, did you go to as many vacations as your aunt did? No. Friends, he, listen, uh, he's going to ask you, did you make the most of the one life that I gave you? Were you the best you? Did you do the best with all of the gifts, all of the weaknesses, all of the strengths, all of the joys, all of the hard times that I laid before you? Did you rise to the occasion? I think that's what God's gonna ask. Amen? Anybody with me on this? Have you ever seen the Indianapolis 500 on TV? Uh, I'm not like a huge race fan, uh, but these uh, cars that they drive, they're, they're beasts, man. They are crazy, you know, um, they, they, they're incredibly sleek, they sit really like low to the ground, they got these massively powerful engines, they can do like over 200 miles on the straightaway, they can take a corner at over 100 miles an hour, uh, which is crazy, and uh, um, they're an amazing vehicle, but they are not a car that you would want for your family car right? Uh, they have weaknesses. They, they can only hold one person. Uh, they're not comfortable at all. They, inside, it's just metal and gauges and instruments. Uh, there's no air. There's no stereo. There's no power, anything. Why? Why, friends? Because, listen, they are designed by a designer for a very specific purpose. It is designed to be the best for the race that they are in, right? I mean, this seems so obvious to us, right? But Lynette and I uh, have, we have a, a, an incredible Chevy Traverse, and uh, it seats seven people. Uh, it, it has a bike rack thing on the back, and it rides high off the ground, and it does a great job in the snow. And the most amazing thing is it has this little backup camera, which uh, Lynette really needs. Uh, 
I'm just saying, I'm, I'm just saying, uh, but you drive it, you feel like you're in control of the road. You feel like, wow, this is, this is good. Uh, but if I was to take that traverse to the Indianapolis 500 and say, let's go, boys, they're going to whoop me. I mean, they're going to lap me 10 times, right? And if I take that corner at about 100 miles an hour, I'm going to hear God say, not so well done, my good and faithful servant, not so well right? Because I'm going to go flying off that track, right? Because listen, it's the wrong vehicle for the race. It couldn't handle it. What's the problem? It's competing in a race that it was never designed to compete in. On the other hand, if I was to trade that Traverse into, uh, in for like an Indy 500 car and bring it home, I'm guessing it would only be a few days that I would want to trade that car back in. It would be a bad trade because it would not work for my everyday uh, use. I would get a lot of attention, right? I'd get a lot of people going, ooh-wee, but it only seats one, I'm like, kids, you got to stay home, right? It gets five miles a gallon, right? Uh, It can't even bring the groceries home because there's no storage in the doggone thing. And if I'm cruising, I could take it on the highway. That'd be sweet until I hit a Michigan pothole, right? Because the dang thing runs so low to the ground, I'd be like buried in in this, like the whole, it'd be terrible, right? Um, I'd be done because it's the wrong vehicle for the race, right? Here's the point. Each vehicle is designed by, by the designer for a specific purpose. My, my Traverse isn't going to be a lot of good in the Indianapolis 500, and my IndyCar isn't going to do very well in everyday use. They have incredible strengths, and they also have weaknesses. And you've got to put the right vehicle in the right race. And, and if you don't, listen, if you spend your life thinking that you're an IndyCar in some other race, it will not end well for you. It'll be a lifetime of regret. It'll be a lifetime of disappointment. Um, Friends, listen. Be the best you for the race that God has given to you. It's really that simple. Absolutely get better. Absolutely move forward. But be the best you. There's nothing wrong uh, with with looking at somebody else. There are people who come along and they're they're just better. They just got it together in areas that you don't got it together. And you can sit there and you can bemoan that and you can try to chase after that and you can try to knock them down. But let me tell you something, friends. It is perfectly okay. There is nothing wrong with saying, those aren't my strengths. That's just not me. I'm never going to be that fast. I'm never going to be the engineering type. I'm, I'm never going to be a size five. You know, my personality is not going to be one of those out front dynamic type of personality. And let me tell you something, friends. Be okay with that. Amen? Be okay with that. Um, Listen, in in the New Testament part of the Bible, uh, there is this guy named John the Baptist. And he's out doing what God created him to do. He's preaching like crazy. He's leading people to God like crazy. And he's just going to town at it, right? One day, John is out baptizing all these people. And these other people who are seeking after God, they come up to John and ask him this question. They say, hey, John, say, are you the one that we're supposed to be looking for. They say, John, are you the one who was promised by God to come and deliver us? And you know how long it took John to answer that question? About two seconds. He said, nope, I'm not the one. He said, that ain't me. I know that. Matter of fact, there's one coming after me who is so good, so big, so perfect, so holy that I'm not even able to untie his shoes. That's the guy you should be looking for. Me, I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses and that ain't me. That is not me. Friends, if we keep running after people and things that, that aren't us, we're going to do things that 
that we regret later. I've known people who have bought houses that are bigger and better and out of their price range just because they felt this unsaid pressure to compete with their sisters and their brothers and the rest of their family and friends. Well, I, I know moms that, that drag their kids to 17 different classes and 15 different activities after school because they feel this unsaid pressure to get their kids to compete in more and more and more and more. Uh, I, I know people who go to the gym two times a day and starve themselves to death in order to you know, compete with some guy at the office who's 20 years younger and uh, who probably has genes that he doesn't even need to work out and he can eat anything he wants and he's still in shape, right? And we run after something that just isn't true for us. God has called you to stay in the race. He's put you in a race. It's your race. Correct your soul. Follow what God has called you to be. Absolutely. Listen, when somebody is doing something right, learn from them. Grow from them. But don't be them. Be you. Be you. Amen? I'll be honest, a couple years ago, um, I uh, got to this point in my life that uh, I was doing, I, I read a lot, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I try to develop my, my leadership gifts and all those sorts of things. And, and um, you know, you find, in my business, being a pastor, uh, there is, uh, there, there are this, there's this whole community of leaders out there. You know, everybody's trying to sell you something. Everybody's trying to teach you something. Everybody's trying to help you to get better. And that's awesome. And I, I support all of it. It's great. But I got to this point where I was looking at this and I realized um, just a couple years ago uh, that I, I had to stop. I had to literally unplug for a pretty long season of my life where I couldn't listen to any more of their sermons. I couldn't listen to any more of their podcasts. I couldn't read any more of their books. I couldn't go to any more of their conferences because I just thought to myself, I will never be them. I'm never going to preach as good as them, lead as good as them, um, look as good as them, raise enough money as them. I just, I wasn't going to be able to do it. And um, it was killing me. It was killing me inside. Every day I would wake up to my shortcomings and go, man, what is wrong with me? They're so this and they're so that and I'm just not. You ever felt that way? Sometimes we just need to unplug and pull back and we need to choose something different. Choose something different. And here's the third thing I'm learning that we don't compare, we choose. Let, let me explain this to you a little bit. We, we need to choose something different. I was thinking about where does all this comparing come from? Where does all this envy and jealousy come from? And don't, don't try to tell me you don't have this somewhere inside of you because I know it's in every side, inside of every single person. It just is. Somewhere, different levels, but it's in you and it's in me. And so I was starting to think, where does this come from? How does this happen to us? And, and I was reminded of uh, the original story of Scripture, right? The, the story of Adam and Eve. Uh, so much is ingrained in us from these very few pages of the Scripture, the opening pages of the Scripture. And I just want to read a couple verses and then make a, a comment to you, and then we'll wrap it up just real quick. Um, chapter 2, verse 15, 15, 16, and 17. Let me read these to you, and then I'm going to skip a, a little bit and read a couple more verses. It says this. 
Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now, fast forward uh, to the next chapter. Chapter three, starting in verse four, it says, you, and then this is the enemy of God speaking, the serpent, the devil. He's speaking against God. He says the exact opposite of God. Listen to this. He says the exact opposite. He says, you will not certainly what? Die. The serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. She also gave some to her, what? Her husband who was with her and he ate from it. Friends, I am proposing to you today that the core, at the very core of this trap of comparison is this one singular thought, this one uh, belief that we have somewhere deep inside of us. It is the lie that God is not enough for us. Hear me? We believe that God is not quite enough for us. We need something more. This is why I run a race that is different from the race that God has put in me. This is why I get caught up in envy and jealousy. This is why I struggle with contentment. Uh, And this is at the core of Eve's sin, that God was not enough for her. Like Eve, listen, like Eve, I often feel that even though God has given me so much, uh, that there is still something more that he is withholding from me. Uh, Eve uh, had this thought in her mind that I will be satisfied with God plus this fruit. Listen, that I'll be satisfied with God plus this fruit. A lot of people say, well, she was turning her back on God. No, she wasn't. She was not abandoning God. She was just saying, God, you're not enough for me. God, I appreciate all that you have given to me, but you've been holding something back and now I want something more. So it was God plus, and friends, this is at the core of my struggle. And this is at the core of your struggle. It says, oh yeah, we know God has been good. Amen, praise the Lord. Oh, I'll go to church. But we leave and we say, God, you're not really enough for me. And so it's God plus something else. God plus something else. God plus something else. And this is at the core of comparison. This is at the core of jealousy and envy that God is not enough. People think that Eve uh, was just walking away. No, she wasn't. She was saying, God, I, I, I I want you plus comfort. I want you plus comfort, and then I will be content. I want God plus a family, uh, and then uh, I'll be happy. I want God uh, and a husband and a God or a wife. I want God plus a new car or God plus a vacation, God plus uh, better sex, God plus more kids, God plus alcohol, or God plus a new wardrobe, or God, God plus, God plus, God plus, whatever it is. And, and, the, and friends, listen, contentment and peace and joy comes when we realize that God is enough. That he has been good to us. Absolutely grow. Absolutely I want to win in life. Absolutely I want to move forward in life. But there has to be this point I get to where I where I think and I believe that if God never blesses me again that he has been more than enough to me already. That I can walk with him and be satisfied. Because listen, friends, listen. When I sin, 
And I think this is probably true of you. When I sin and I turn away and I run after other things, I'm telling God, I really don't trust you. I don't really trust you to complete me, to satisfy me, to move me forward in life. What I'm telling God is that I know what's best for me and you really don't. God, I, 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 I know where I want to go and you may not take me there, so I'm going to do it on my own apart from you. And friends, that is a dangerous place to be. Dangerous. Dangerous. Don't compare. Celebrate. Right? Lift up people around you. When somebody else wins, you win. Right? When somebody else achieves, you achieve because you get joy from that. Don't compare. Correct. Correct your soul. Adjust your heart. Humble yourself. Stay in your lane. Get back to what God has called you to become. Don't compare. Choose. Choose to be satisfied in God. Choose that he is enough for you.